So I want to continue on that track tonight, and I think um, it is important to uh, keep these things in mind as we are dealing with um, church membership and we're dealing with what it means to be a church member and how we grow together as the body of Christ. That's what we talked about, right? The body, being members of the body individually, but having a role to play together. We talked about how the, the hand cannot say to the head, I have no need of thee. We are to give place to the less comely members of our body because we need them just as much. We need the foot just as much as we need the hand. We need the hand just as much as we need the head. We need the eye as much as we need the ear. Amen? So, keeping on that track, I want to talk about another very closely related subject, and that is the means within the gathered church that God has given for us to grow. And these are often called the ordinary means of grace. So tonight our topic will be centered around, um, let me find it here in this book. It'll be from the Baptist Catechism, and if you would like to follow along in the Baptist Catechism, there are books. Um, if you don't have one and you would like one, let me know and I'll find you one. They are in the back of the pews. Um, and there are, let's see, this is 93, 94. 95, 96, there are three, there are three questions here uh, that deal with what the ordinary means of grace are. That is uh, our topic for tonight, the ordinary means of grace. And uh, this the Baptist Catechism, starting in question 93 and going to going through to question 96, discusses uh, calls them here the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption, and it spends the next several questions unpacking these. So I think the proper place to start is at question 93. These are the ordinary means of grace, or the outward means, whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. The outward and ordinary means, whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption, are his ordinances, especially the word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And if you are taking notes, I would write those down. His ordinances, especially the Word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. These are what are called the ordinary means of grace. All which means are made effectual to the elect 
for salvation. My scope tonight is um, more so to talk about what they do for us as a body and how we receive these elements because it, it will go on to talk about um, how specifically, it'll detail how specifically these elements or these means are to be received and what is it that these are communicating to us. So I think it's important just to uh, say, or just to define what is meant by ordinary means of grace. When we say ordinary means, what do we mean? Uh, ordinary just means uh, typical. These are the commonplace or um, standard, standardized means of grace. These are not um, something that is for a special level of Christian that requires a certain amount of aspiration to a higher level. These are means that are made available to all believers in Christ through the church, right? And it says, by these outward and ordinary means, Christ communicates to us, who are us, the body of Christ, that's what we talked about Sunday night, the body of Christ, us, the benefits of redemption. And these means are his ordinances. In the Baptist church, we have two primary ordinances. ordinances, And this includes the preaching of the word. But we have baptism and the Lord's Supper. As a member in a Baptist church, every believer has or every member of the church has received baptism. That's a means of grace. And we're going to talk about how, how baptism becomes effectual for salvation, becomes a effectual means of grace, and how the Lord's Supper becomes an effectual means of grace. But, but before we get to baptism and the Lord's Supper, it says, especially the Word. Especially the Word. So if you... Um, let's, let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is a passage that we're all familiar with. I know Kevin has referenced this a lot when preaching about church membership and what it means to gather as a body and what we should aspire to, what we hold to as a body, what are the means by which Christians are to grow. What does the Bible say about the importance of the body of Christ and how does this tie in with these um, ordinary means of grace so Acts chapter 2 starting at verse 
Um, let's go ahead and start at verse 36. Or verse, let's start at verse 37, excuse me. Now when they heard this, this is right after Peter had preached the gospel to these that were standing around on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches the gospel sermon, and he finishes up in verse 36, and says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He spends this whole sermon talking about Christ, talking about who Christ was. That, that is the gospel, right? The gospel is, who is Christ? That is what we preach when we evangelize people, we preach about who Christ is, what Christ has done. These are the gospel. This is the preaching of the word. And he finishes up this great gospel sermon. And starting in verse 37, he says, this was the crowd's response. We need to remember that this crowd of converts became the Christian church, the early church. This was the first, this was the outpouring of the Spirit on the church, the day of Pentecost. And th these would become the first members of the universal church. Now when they heard this, verse 37... Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto the rest, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, and they continuing daily with one another, or with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This is, we see in here, we see that Peter has preached the word to the people that were gathered around around, what, 3,000 souls? He preached the word. These were baptized. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine is 
that teaching which is laid out for us in the New Testament epistles. That is the apostles' doctrine. And the important thing to note from that, uh, just as a side note, is we should never think that the apostles' doctrine is relegated to be found in the New Testament. Because the truth of the matter is, Peter and the disciples at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the ready to preach from them. Those were written afterhand, after the fact. They were accounts that were written by the apostles looking back on the life and ministry, the three years, three and a half years they spent with Christ, um, that they knew Christ, that Christ taught uh, in his earthly ministry. That was their reflection on them. So they were teaching about Christ from the Old Testament. Because when Christ was walking with them on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, he was unfolding to them. He opened unto them, it says, the scriptures and showed them where all it spoke of him in the Psalms, the law, the prophets. That pretty much encompasses the whole Old Testament. The law were the first five books, the five books of Moses, commonly called the Pentateuch. You had the Psalms, and you had the prophets. And Jesus told them how all of these testified of him. So when Jesus is first telling them all of these things, this is written that the Son of Man must suffer these things. He is telling this, them these things from the Old Testament. So if we are going to continue steadfastly as the, as the people on the day of Pentecost did, as the early church did in the Apostles' Doctrine, we accept the whole of the Bible, Old and New Testament, as the, as the Word of God and profitable for teaching, correction, rebuke, and instruction, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. So the word is the first ordinary means of grace. Baptism. Baptism is commanded by Christ in Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20. He said, All power in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore go and baptize. Uh, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded of you. Baptism, though it is not the, the water itself, the minister baptizing us, and the circumstances around our baptism have no power in and of themselves to save us, but Baptism is a means by which God intends, through Christ, to minister grace unto his people. Therefore, it is called an ordinary means of grace. It is ordinary in that it is not, it is intended for only believers as we believe, but it is intended for 
every believer. The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a, another ordinance of the church that we are told is a means of grace. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. When we come to the Lord's Supper, what do we see? What if visibly, uh, or what if, what is represented by the wine and the bread, by the the body and the blood of the Lord? In the same night, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, "What? This is my body broken for you." And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he took the cup. He blessed it. They drank of this cup. This was the first institution of the Lord's Supper. In this, we see something. And I think that that has been lost on much of the church. On what we are doing when we are taking the Lord's Supper. I remember growing up. I didn't understand it. I was a member of a church. I had professed faith in Christ. I was a believer, but I thought, I mean, I know that we were commanded to do this in Scripture, but, I mean, we're eating a cracker and we're drinking some juice. What, what does this do? It is a picture of the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ. It, like baptism, is a visible representation of the gospel. It is a visible representation of Christ's shed blood and broken body for our sins on Calvary. And we are told in the catechism that this is a means by which God intends to communicate grace to his people. We see the representation of the gospel in the Lord's Supper, and we see the grace which Christ, which the Father had through Christ, toward unworthy sinners to break his only son to save them. We see these things, and when we receive the Lord's Supper, we are receiving that visible representation, and we are receiving the grace that is communicated buy it. And we're going to talk about how all of this works here in just a moment. And prayer. Now, the important thing about prayer is that in the scope of this, private prayer in your prayer closet is a means of grace. But specifically, Corporate prayer. Praying with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ is the ordinary means of grace that is uh, called out here in the catechism. So we have now the preaching, or the or we have the word, baptism, Lord's Supper, and prayer. All which means are made effectual to the elect for salvation. 
now with that understanding of what are the outward and ordinary means of grace, let's discuss a little more about uh, the individual means of grace that we've talked about. Question 94 Question 94 asks, how is the word made effectual to salvation? The answer to that, the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. The reading of the word. So the reading of the word is something you can do at home. By yourself, every church member should be reading the word. But do you remember how I said the early church, they were all together. We started out talking about the early church, and I think this is important to note, that the early church did not have carry-around Bibles like this that they carried underneath their arm. Right. They did not. The, uh, that wouldn't become commonplace until well into probably, I'd say, the 17th century has made Bibles commonplace. I'd say it was probably more like the 18th until everybody Start, you know, they were available to the common man. Because when they first came out, they were big, they were bought, I mean, th they were more readily available to the church, but they didn't become personal side things that we carried around until, you know, maybe the late 17th century. Uh, I do not remember that. Henry the Eighth, yeah. Unauthorized Bibles. That's why the, the right. But for for the for the vast majority of church history, they did not have personal Bibles. Right. So this says the reading, but especially the preaching of the word. So it was probably about the 1520s, 1530s, when that whole thing was going on, and personal Bibles started to become more, yeah, more commonplace. There was, uh, yeah, there there was several Bibles before the King James. There was the uh, Matthew's Bible. There was Bishop's Bible.
Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And so, but it says, especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of grace. So the primary, because it says the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. We said under the sound of the preaching, we hear about the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the grace of God versus man's depravity. And we are convinced of our sin and converted through repentance to turn from sin to Christ and walk after him. And of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith and salvation. If we are not attending church regularly, how are we hearing the word preached? How are we partaking in this means that God intends to convey grace to his people? And we live in a blessed age with the internet, YouTube, sermon audio, all of these places that we can go to listen to sermons. But I want to submit that listening to sermon audio, watching popular preachers on YouTube, or TBN, or CBN, or wherever you might be watching these preachers, you are not getting from those preachers what you get from a local church pastor who is in charge of your spiritual care. When you join a church, when you covenant to a church, your pastor becomes a, not a shepherd in the sense that Christ is shepherd, but we become under shepherds. The uh, bishops are told in the pastoral epistles that we are in charge of the care of men's souls. We will have to answer, you will have to answer for your spiritual walk before God, but we will have to answer for how we taught you and how we nourished your walk with God, how we cared for you, how we prayed for you, how we counseled you. We will have to answer those things. And so when you are listening to a, when you are listening to a, local church pastor, not only are you hearing the word expounded, but you are probably hearing the word expounded and applied directly to your lives because part of what we do as pastors is we discern the needs of our congregation and we, we articulate our material and we uh, plan our material to best suit you guys, or we try to, uh, the best we can, uh, articulate these things so that you guys can understand them, and so that you guys get something out of, something out of the preaching of the word. Also, when you are listening to a YouTube preacher a celebrity preacher of any kind, they may have good doctrine, they may be sound, they may be a really good teacher, and you might learn a lot. 
But here is one thing that you can be sure of. If you have never met that preacher, there is almost a 100% guarantee your name has never came out of his mouth in his prayer closet. With the help of the Lord, I pray for each one of you. Kevin, I know, prays for each one of you. We are concerned with your spiritual walk. So I think that it is much more effective to hear the preaching of the word from a minister who has been in his prayer closet laboring over your soul than it is to hear from somebody who doesn't even know your name. And if you are not a member of a local church, or if you are neglecting the fellowship of that local church, you are not sitting under the sound of your pastor's teaching. Let's just be brutally honest. Almost every church has a live stream. If you miss one or two Sundays, you might be inclined to tune in to hear your pastor who is praying for you and probably praying that you will come back to church um, listen to him preach but then guess what for whatever reason maybe you feel guilty because you feel like he is talking to you so you quit watching him or you say oh I'll save that to watch later but then you save 15 other videos ahead of that and then by the time next Sunday rolls around, you still haven't heard last Sunday's sermon from the guy who's been praying for you all week. And so you're not sitting under the preaching of the word that was intended for you, that God has ordained for you to receive, that you might receive this grace, this grace that becomes effectual and works for your salvation. Important to note when we're talking about effectual means of salvation, we need to understand that the confession often uses salvation in a number of ways. It can be talking about justification, it can be talking about sanctification, and it can be talking about glorification. Those are the three stages. We're not you know, if, if we are saved, we are saved in all three senses of the term. We are justified, we are being sanctified, we will be glorified. But this is not saying that hearing the word preached is what saves you. Christ saves you. But hearing the word preached does sanctify you. Hearing the word preached from your pastor who is praying for you does sanctify you in a particular way that reading the word cannot. And this is not to say that individual Christians have no, have no understanding of the Bible or cannot read it for themselves. They can. That was one of the major pushing points of the Reformation was that every common layperson should have a Bible, know how to read it, and know how to interpret it. You can. You're smart enough to read the Bible and know what it means. But it is opened up to you in a way that perhaps you've never thought about it before. You hear something, maybe you're struggling with a, pa with a passage, and 
Maybe you struggled with a passage and you've just been too afraid to ask what it means. Maybe it's something that troubles you. Maybe it's just something that confuses you. But as you said under the preaching of the, of the word and your pastor begins to unpack what these things mean, you may hear the answer to your question that you have about the Bible. It might demystify a passage for you that you've avoided for years because you weren't sure what it meant. And it frustrated you, and you so you avoided that. And then when you hear the word opened up, you now know what it means, and you go back and study to it to you, and it communicates that grace to your heart. You understand. You not only understand with your mind, but you accept these truths, truths by faith. So the word is made effectual under salvation. It is an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and building them up in, in bleh, building them up in holiness and comfort through faith under salvation. How is the word to be heard and read that it may become effectual under salvation? The word that the word may become effectual to salvation, this is question 95, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love, and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Sunday Christianity is foreign to the Bible. Once a month, Christianity is even more foreign to the Bible. Christmas, Easter, and other special occasions is even more foreign to the Bible. That the, this is what this is saying. How does the word, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? We must attend thereunto with diligence. Does anybody know what diligence means? Yeah. Yeah. Attention. A special attention. Diligence. If you are diligent in your labor, you are paying special care to make sure that your tax, tasks are done. Diligence. Preparation. Preparing our hearts through prayer. Preparing our minds through study. Maybe um, maybe you on, uh, just for an example, if you know what your pastor is preaching through the week before, or the, even the day before, like say on Saturday, you're sitting there, you're getting ready to do family worship with your family. You know that your pastor is preaching on um, John chapter 10. So maybe you go through with your wife and your child and whoever and you, whoever's in your home and you discuss, you read and discuss John 10. You meditate on John 10. You pray over John 10. So that when it is expounded from the pulpit, your heart is prepared to receive it with faith and to believe what it says and thereby receive that grace that God has intended for you in this to your heart.
This is very much what the Puritans had in mind when they talked about meditating upon the scriptures. To read a scripture and let it make it past your eyes into your mind and past your mind into your very soul. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up, it says, in our hearts. Lay it up. We are told, we are told what? To hide the word of God in our hearts that we may not sin against them. Hide the word in our hearts. Lay it up in our hearts. Store it there. Because there's going to come a time when you're going to face a spiritual battle and that word that is engra that engrafted word that word that is laid up in your heart will come to your mind and it will give you comfort and peace lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives with the help of God as Kevin noted, noted when he was talking about sanctification this is talking to justified believers, believers that have received the grace of justification. They may now practice what the Word says in their lives. Not with perfection, not in any way that um, requires your perfection, but in a way that it is making a difference in how you live your life day to day. I'm talking about a holistic, a whole person, a whole life Christianity. Not a Christianity that we take up Sunday morning and lay down when we walk out that front door, right? This is what it's talking about. So if the word is to become effectual unto our salvation, our sanctification, we are to attend to it with diligence Preparation and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. These are things that we do corporately. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. This is question 96. Question 96. Baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation not for any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them. This is what I said earlier, not for anything in the minister or anything in the bread and the wine or the water, but, but only by the blessing of Christ. Christ blessed the bread. After he blessed it, he broke it. He, he took and he blessed the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. So these become effectual means to our salvation, to our sanctification, by, the by and only by the blessing of Christ and the working of the Spirit in those by faith receive them. We receive these with the same grace in our hearts that we receive the word by. We receive the word, we receive the supper, we receive baptism, and these communicate the grace of God to us. 
remember we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Sunday evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Sunday evening and we were talking about the body of Christ. And under this under this question in our catechism, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 is listed as a reference passage for this question. 12.3. I'm going to read it verse 1 just for context. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would that I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away into these dumb idols, even as ye were. Yeah. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah. Even as ye were led. Wherefore I give to you, I give you to understand. That no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus the curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost dwells inside of us. That happened at the day of Pentecost. Men were indwelt with the Spirit of God. And this is and the working of the Spirit in those that by faith receive him. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the faith that receives Christ that makes these, this baptism and this table effectual to our salvation or to our sanctification. In other words, it is not because we have been dunked under water that we are sanctified through baptism. It is not because of a, bread, a piece of bread and a cracker that, or a cup of juice that we drink that we are communicated grace. But it is by the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and the faith that is a gift from God as we receive these outward signs of the gospel. The Holy Spirit makes the word that is seen in baptism in the Lord's Supper effectual that we may grow from it. These are things that should not be done outside of the gathering of believers. These were instituted by Christ when people were gathered. People were gathered at the baptisms in the early church. You have very few examples in scripture of people going down to be baptized by themselves. Most of the time when there were baptisms performed, there were people standing around, a gathering of believers. So if it was a gathering of believers, it was what? It was a church. It was a body of believers who worshiped together and received baptism. When Christ was, when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, the eleven were with him and received the Lord's Supper together. That gathering of people, though they were apostles and Christ, were the church. Though the Spirit had not been given because Christ had not ascended, 
they were believers gathered together. That was the church. That has been the understanding of the church of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament to today. The gathering of believers is the church. The, gather, the, the assembly, that word ecclesia in scripture that is translated into the word church means a gathering or assembly. Ecclesia. Yeah. Ecclesia. But it, it's the Greek word. Anytime you see church in your Bible, the original language had ecclesia there, and that was a gathering of people. It is used in other ways, uh, not uh, talking about a uh, gathering of believers, but even a general gathering. They called the ecclesia, and it was translated assembling of people. That's why in Hebrews 10, verse 25, where it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. That word there is, actually it's not ecclesia. That is, um, I can't remember without looking at it right now, but it's um, epithunagoge. It's the synagogue, which was the gathering of Old Testament believers. That's where they got the word synagogue. So the ecclesia, the assembly, has always been the gathering together of believers. Old Testament, New Testament, today. Wherever we are gathered together, that is the church. These ordinances, the word preached, the word seen in baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of grace as we are gathered together and we receive them by faith through the working of the Spirit among us. This is why I said Sunday night that if we are not doing this, if we are not gathering together, we are not partaking in every essential element that Christ has given us to grow our faith. Because truth be told, you do grow when you study your Bible by yourself at home. You do grow when you're in your prayer closet, praying by yourself, for other people, for yourself, for your family. You do grow. But there are certain things that cannot be done privately. And those are the ordinary or the standard means of grace by which Christ has ordained that his church would receive the sanctification unto holiness and unto life. If you are neglecting the gathering of the believers, I want you to ask yourself why. What is the cause that you are neglecting this? And I am not saying there is no valid reason to ever miss a church meeting. We are not that legalistic. We are not concerned with our numbers or our tithe or our you know our status in the community oh look that parking lot's empty that must not be a good church to go to we're not concerned with that we're concerned about your growth we're concerned about your sanctification we're concerned about your holiness not to say that you cannot nurture and foster these on your own but you are going to have a very difficult time 
And it is so much easier if we would just do it the way that Christ has ordained it. It is so much easier. It is not hard work to be a Christian. Becoming a Christian and trusting in Christ is the end of work. He has made an end of our strivings. He has made an end of the enmity by nailing it to his cross. He has offered, through the piercing of his flesh, entrance by a new and a living way. This grace that lives in our hearts, this faith that lives in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We enter by this new and living way, this vibrant way, this way that is alive compared to the law. We pursue it as we talked in Galatians chapter 3 Sunday morning. As though it were by the hearing of faith and not by the works of the law. We can pursue it that way through Christ. But the primary way that Christ has ordained that we would receive these things is together. The hand needs the eye. The foot needs the, I, I, we talked, I used this analogy Sunday night. The pinky toe. You cut that pinky toe off. You're going to have to relearn how to walk. You're going to have to relearn how to balance because it throws you off. The sheep need a shepherd. A shepherd is no shepherd without any sheep. Me preaching to you communicates as much grace as I hope, communicates as much grace to me as I hope my preaching to you communicates to you. We need each other. God has ordained it to be this way that we would grow. And by us telling you that you ought to be here, we are only concerned for your spiritual well-being. It is not a question of your salvation. It is not a question of are you working hard enough. It is the question, are you receiving all that Christ has ordained for you to receive? And if you're missing the local gathering, there's a very good chance that you're not. I want to pray. I want to pray especially for those who we know should be here and are not. I want to pray that if they do hear this, that they would receive it with grace, the grace that I intended to convey, not as a stern rebuke, but as a loving exhortation to come and receive what Christ has for you in his church. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, Lord, you have given us so much through your word, through your sacrament, through your supper and baptism, through the fellowship of the saints, you have given to each one a measure of grace in these things. Father, as we continue to receive the word and as we continue to receive the supper together and witness baptism, Lord, we pray for that we would, through evangelism, go out and 
be gatherers of your lost sheep, bringing them into the fold, and washing them in the waters of baptism. Lord, that is, the gospel is pictured in these ordinances. We pray that it would be a reminder of the grace that was demonstrated in Christ's death, his, his burial, and his resurrection on the third day for the justification of those sinners who believe in him. Father God, we pray that those that are not with us tonight who know that they have a place here, we pray that they would know that they have a place not only in these pews, Lord, but in our hearts as we strive to love one another. Lord, as we strive to demonstrate our affiliation with Christ, Christ says, by this will men know by the love that you bear one for another. We desire that our fruit would be pleasing to you as you continue to prune and you continue to take away, Father, branches in us that are not fruit-bearing, that are hindering the growth of other fruit. Father, by sanctification, we pray that we would continue to grow up together into a holy habitation for God, a temple in which he is pleased to dwell. Father, we pray that your grace would go forth with this message tonight and that would fall upon the hearts of those who hear it. Father, that they would, that they would, their hearts would be softened to this message, that they would receive it with readiness, that they would return to this fellowship, that we may have great rejoicing in what Christ has done for us together. I thank you for those that are here. I pray that they receive this grace as well as those that are not. I pray, Father God, that you give us the grace and the strength to continue in our weeks to live unto you to die and to sell, and to grow up together in faith and love, and love one another as Christ has shown love to us. Father, we ask these blessings in Christ's name. Amen.